there's just a, a few buckets of how we categorize work. One is um, obviously bug fixes that customers are reporting. We want to make sure our customers are happy, so we prioritize our work in that. The other bucket is features that customers have asked for and that align with what we are actually building, because we know these are things that customers need. And the third bucket is uh, just differentiation. How do you differentiate yourself from the market space, from the noise, from, from your competitors? So those, you have to believe, even though nobody is asking for it, even though no customer is imagining it. But for you to have a sustainable business, you have to build a technical mode. My name is Harshal Parikh. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Tromso. This is Code Story, the podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead. A team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Lapart, and today, how Harshal Parak built a platform to eliminate friction between developers and cybersecurity. All this and more on Code Story. Harshal Park is the father of two daughters, as well as the owner of two dogs. Most of the time spent outside of work is with his family, although he does love to cook, especially experimenting with pizza. Through his life, he has realized that sleep is overrated. Humans can function on very little sleep. Maybe not forever, but for a few weeks at a time. Through their experiences, Harshal and his co-founder discovered that it was difficult to make a cybersecurity program successful. After running through the same challenges again and again, they decided to step out and build a solution to streamline security and the development process. This is the creation story of Tromzo. Tromzo was fundamentally started uh, because of the personal experiences that we both me and my co-founder had. So before starting this company, I used to be a security professional, head of security for a long time. And trying to make something as complicated as cybersecurity successful in an organization uh, that has different priorities. You know, I mean, cybersecurity is not always the number one priority, nor should it be. So when something is not a priority, but it's important enough, how do you make things successful? Um, There are a lot of challenges with building uh, a good, practical cybersecurity program. So we spent a lot of time running into the same challenges again and again, again and again. We realized that, okay, you know what, now it's the, it's the right time for us to actually try and solve this problem and build a company uh, about it. So that's how Tromso came about. And what we really do is we're building an operating platform for cybersecurity. And w- what that means is cybersecurity has traditionally been uh, managed as a completely separate thing that, you know, security people do their own thing in one corner of the building. Uh, not really involved in uh, in the day-to-day of, let's just say, software development and, you know, when companies are deploying and building software. Um, so how do you make it a core component, core part of the development process? Like, that's a very challenging thing because uh, developers are very self-service, you know, self-service oriented. They want to do their own thing. How do you make sure security is integrated in it? Um, that's the fundamental problem we solve. Um, and it's it's a growing problem, especially with... Uh, wide-scale adoption of agile practices and DevOps and cloud transformation initiatives. So those were the driving factors for us to build Tromso. Tell me about the MVP, so that first product you built. How long did it take you to build, and what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? 
That's a question that's really hard to answer because there is no one version that we call as MVP. Really, the way we did that is we started our company in March and in April, we had our first design partner. And you can imagine in a month, you really can't build much. So the way the approach that we took was we had lined up uh, three design partners early on who were very excited about the problem we were solving, who we knew uh, were okay with, you know, potentially buggy, uh, uh, missing features and buggy software. So we took the approach of building MVP features rather, rather than thinking about the whole product as an MVP. Like we knew the, out of these three customers, you know, we had three common things and one extra thing, uh, extra feature, extra capability per each customer. So um, we started building on, you know, what's the common minimum between all these customers? What do they need? Uh, obviously, it has to be aligned with our vision. But we figured out what are those features? How do we get that one or two features out quickly, build an MVP version of it, um, and then keep iterating over it? Even today, we've got, you know, um, a number of paying customers and our product is uh, very uh, much more mature than obviously what it was last year. But even today, we work on new capabilities, new features that are still MVP. So uh, I like to think of MVP as a feature by feature basis. Tell me about some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make in the early days, you know, around, you know, how you approached, you know, putting the product together, features, and you kind of alluding to some at a high level, but let's dive into those decisions and, you know, specifically how you cope with them. That decision-making of what to build and what not to build at a certain given time, that is the hardest decision, especially what not to build, right? Because if you're coming from a technical background, it's really easy to build out a laundry list of things that sound awesome, cool, and I'm sure people will use it, but there's always limited resources. So what do you not build that becomes important? So I'll, I'll give you a very tactical example. Initially, early on, um, our product, uh, well, even today, our product integrates with other tools and systems that our customers have. So when you think about a system that integrates with other system, you can imagine there would be a simple, like a self-service UI where you can click a button and say, integrate with this, here's my credential, go fetch my data, what have you, right? But is, is that capability itself, you know, it could take a little bit of time for us to build the self-service UI and build out the robust API integrations and all of that stuff, right? So in the early days, we said, okay, this is not really a core capability of us, right? Like no customer will choose us saying, hey, these guys have really easy to use integrations, at least early on, right? That's not, not what somebody will say. So we decided not to build it. It was very weird early on because customers would come in and just expect it. But we knew that that's not going to block their work. So we decided not to build it early on. We deprioritized it and we built it much later than what other companies would have done. So the theme here is that we had to put a lot of focus on what exactly is our differentiating feature, our differentiating capability, and just focus on the making those really strong and solid and putting blinders on and just ignoring everything else early on. Okay, so, so then from that point, how did you progress the product and how did you mature it? And I think what I'm, look, what I'm interested in is, is how you built your roadmap and how you, how you went about deciding, okay, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Tromso. I mean, that's the, 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 the core of uh, product management and how you put a product hat on. And I don't claim to be a product person. I've never been in that full-time role, but obviously as a founder, you have to be a product person. 
Um, a very naive and a simple way of, for us to think about it is there's, there's just a, a few buckets of how we categorize work. One is uh, obviously bug fixes that customers are reporting. We want to make sure our customers are happy. So we prioritize our work in that. The other bucket is features that customers have asked for and that align with what we are actually building. Um, so that's another bucket because we know these are things that customers need. Um, and the third bucket is uh, just differentiation. Like how do you uh, how do you differentiate yourself from the market space, from the noise, from from your competitors, um, and and that's really at the combination of your your core technical moat and your differentiation. So those you have to believe, even though nobody is asking for it, even though no customer is imagining it. But for you to have a sustainable business, you have to build a technical moat, uh, technical or functional moat around your business, right? So you have to prioritize those um, capabilities as well. Uh, for a longer-term sustainable business, so those are the three lenses that we put put on uh, when prioritizing work, and anything that was outside of that, we just wouldn't do it. Let's switch to team. So, how did you go about building your team, and what did you look for in those people to indicate that they're the winning horses to join you? People are people, and uh, you know, working with them has its um, um, working with different types of personalities. People have different objectives and goals. Um, so you have to be careful of you know who you sign up for what work and why are they signing up to join your mission. And for us, it was um, it was never going to be the case where we we're going to have a team of you know 25, 30, 40 people. We were going to be very lean. We were going to be very uh, crisp and effective of where we invest our resources. So our team that we built initially, or even today, that exists even today, is every single individual was. Uh, was good at what they do obviously like we we didn't have time or the resources to spend on micromanagement so we hired only senior people um, just because we know that early on uh, we need people who can make their own decisions rather than you know the founders having to make decisions so people who could self-sustain themselves who could make the right choices to a reasonable extent um, and have experience in the technical stack and want to work with an unpredictable environment uh, in a startup where you know things change all the time and features get deprioritized for one or the other reason and you really have to build an MVP of a feature which you know will not scale which you know has some uh, you know rough edges but you have to ship it anyways knowing that you'll incur that debt at some point so that's a different mindset as compared to you know, somebody who's working in a large tech company with thousands and thousands of engineers. So we were super focused on that personality, that drive uh, within those people. And it's it's good, it, it's manageable because it's not like we want to hire 100 or 200 of those people at this moment, right? So it's uh, it, it, we don't need to solve for scaling that level of uh, skill set, at least not just yet. Um, at some point very soon, we'll run into scaling challenges, and I'm sure this formula wouldn't work. Um, but we'll, we'll take different decisions at that point. But the early team was very lean team who knew what it takes to work in a startup, had the technical experience and um, the seniority to make decisions. Well, speaking of scalability, let's flip to that. So, um from the technology standpoint, did you build this to scale efficiently from day one, or have you been fighting this as you've grown and put the multiple products together and gained traction? 
our product scales infinitely now. <laughs> there, there's just so many constraints around um, scalability, right? It's just, you can obviously build a system that scales really well, but is that a problem that we need to solve today? I mean, that it depends. In some cases, yes. In, in a lot of cases, no. Because uh, we were also very intentional about the types of customers we were going after. Um, and we knew that that ICP or ideal customer profile, it's not going to include um, a certain, uh, it's not going to introduce a certain type of scale challenges. So we didn't solve for it. Uh, and we wait until we waited until we have that size of a customer or we have visibility into that size of a customer to be able to solve those scale related challenges. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a um, it's one of those things. It's scale, reliability, quality of software, security of the software. We have to make conscious choices of what's reasonable um, at every stage uh, of the company. And, you know, that changes every single month because, uh, you know, the types of customers you have, the type of pipeline you have, that changes. The new features it might introduce additional complexities, but um, not solving for it beforehand uh, and just being cautious about what you sign up for. I think that has worked out really well for us. But you also cannot ignore it, right? So you have to be cautious about what you sign up for. So if you don't solve it at a certain point, you shouldn't imagine that it just disappears. Scale problem disappears. It doesn't disappear. It'll just come out uh, when you least expect it. So you have to be very uh, mindful of those decisions and and uh, watch out for them. Well, Harshal, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Obviously, the thing that one of the the easy answer to that is the team that we've built around it, right? Like, is it, it obviously it's a true answer as well. Like the phenomenal people that we've brought together to solve this mission. It's it's a really really good group of people, incredibly motivated, incredibly talented, uh, and all driving towards success of the company. So that's that's one of the big uh, moments of gratification. But the other thing is when you actually see the output of what this team has built and delivered, and when you see that has changed how our customers' um, uh, work life has been impacted, how they do their work differently now in a much better way, much more efficient way, that is incredibly gratifying because now you know that you're, even though it's a small group of people so far, but you know that you're making an impact to somebody's life, uh, whether it's few hours every week or a few days every week uh, that you're making it better for them. You're helping somebody get to their next level of promotion, helping somebody, you know, get excited about their job again because of the value that you're providing uh, through your product. I think those things are, uh, are, are just incredible to see. Uh, it shows the impact that you've had on the market. Well, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Thankfully, we haven't made a major mistake. There's, there's mistakes around, you know, hiring the the wrong people. There's mistakes around not understanding the customer expectation or the feature expectation correctly, not communicating effectively. Like all those are just small mistakes. Like retrospectively looking, we know that obviously we should have written that, you know, PRD more clearly. Obviously, we should have written that Jira ticket more clearly, so you know exactly what you're building. Uh, because sometimes it happens when the feature goes into production, it's not exactly what the what the use case was. <laughs> it happens once in a while, but you know it's it's some of those mistakes. Um, but I think the the important theme that underlies all of this is just 
getting better. How do you put learning process in place, right? Like mistakes are an inevitability. Everyone's going to make mistakes, but how do you build that learning muscle within your organization through systematic processes that you can put in? I think that's an incredibly important piece that a lot of people tend to forget in the in the startup mindset because you're just rushing towards uh, that new new logo, new business, new customer, new feature. But how do you set up the right processes within your company to learn from these mistakes? I think that's an incredibly important piece. Well, what does the future look like for the product and for your team? We're in a very interesting space where we're trying to make life easy for two different types of personas. One is the cybersecurity professional who's a primary user. Um, but also cybersecurity so cybersecurity's role the team's role is to secure the things that other people are building or all to help them build things in a secure way so those recipients uh, in our case those are software developers working in a company um, so we are helping their life make uh, make their life a little bit easier as well so for the future of our product is is really to bridge that gap that exists today between security and the development organization today there are in a lot of cases there are loggerheads those two functions don't really work well with each other so we really uh, are building towards a vision where we eliminate this friction between development teams and cybersecurity teams uh, to foster effective collaboration and communication between them so security is uh, seamlessly integrated as a part of the development process that's really the future that we're uh, driving towards from a product perspective um and from a team perspective and you know, that's a good question because we don't know when we started this company which is right around uh the second year of covid i guess uh we didn't realize how distributed and global the teams have become and there's there's no way we're going to go back to the pre covid situation of you know uh, in person teams uh, in office teams every single day and things like that so that is just going to expand on a different scales as we grow we're just going to have much more globally diverse team working across different time zones and managing uh, you know people's career ambitions and you know uh, managing uh, the company towards a common goal common vision that's going to be a really interesting and challenging situation so we'll see how it goes but i'm uh, quite excited about this challenge So let's switch to you, Harshal. Who who influences the way that you work? Name someone or or a bunch of someones that you look up to and why. I mean, I've thought a lot about this in terms of who influences me, but every single time I ask myself that question, I come back with like an a, a different different person or different type of an individual for different types of things because like I like to think about you know myself uh in different roles like my role as as a father my role as a ceo my role as uh, um a spouse my role in different aspects of my life and i think for each of those things there are different people who influence me and how i operate so i i, I can't tell you if there's one person um who influences me but there's just so many different people like people who i have worked for in the past people who have worked with uh in the past or just uh, uh my 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 own family my dad my friends like all of them influence me in some or the other way i guess it's different people for different aspects of life well okay so we talked about a mistake earlier but a little bit different spin 
if you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? One of the things I had always heard, and we thought we were doing more, but I think it's, you could always do more, is this, this very common phrase in startup world, which is first-time founders focus on product, second-time founders focus on distribution. That's, um, I mean, we knew that before going in, but the, the, the attraction to build an awesome product is just so strong. It pulls you toward it. It, all, it consumes you into building something awesome that customers will use. Um, and I think retrospectively looking, we would have spent a little bit more time figuring out distribution early on. Not that we are in a bad spot. I mean, we have great distribution today. Um, uh, in terms of go-to-market and so on and so forth. But that could have been something that we could have started even right around the same time as we even started when we uh, founded the company. Uh, I think it would, it would be much better to make that and uh, make distribution as a foundational element of like, how you think about company, the types of people you hire, and you know, how you think about product and types of customers and so on and so forth. Well, last question, Harshal. So you're getting on a plane and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. They can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? It's all about distribution. Uh, you know, it's, it's so, so, so important to figure out how you're going to sell, how you're going to get this awesome next big thing in the hands of whoever needs to use it. Um, because the the reality of the world is that we are all so overpowered with information from every single place, right? And that has changed in the past one or two decades. Like we didn't have so much information overload uh, on all these devices around us. So people's attention spans have significantly reduced now, which means that your customers are not going to notice you. And on the other hand, you know, uh, cloud and access to technology at a very low cost has significantly reduced the barriers of entry to building startups, which means there are so many more startups now as compared to a decade or two ago. So now you combine those two things and it's really difficult to get in front of your buyers. So it doesn't matter how awesome your product is, but if nobody knows about it, nobody's uh, or people who need it, they, they don't know about you then it's not going to work. Uh, it might be a great product, but you're not going to have a big business. Um, so I think one of the most important things to keep in mind is, is distribution, how to figure out to get the product in the hands of the right people at the right time. Fantastic advice. Twice in a row. Well, Harshal, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Tromzo. It's my pleasure, Noah. Thank you for having me. And this concludes another chapter of Coat Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. Support the show on patreon.com slash codestory for just five to ten bucks a month. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.